It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, once gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan defended the decision to withdraw. He framed the fallout as an inevitable product of concluding 20 years of military action. Uh, He maintained that the administration planned for all contingencies. And even though we've had assurances now, we've learned from the Taliban that Americans needing to get out will get safe passage to the airport. The U.S. is not providing transport for those people, and we've just learned exactly how many Americans are out there. How many Americans are in Afghanistan, both inside Kabul and outside Kabul, and should they get priority on evacuation flights? Uh, John Kirby said that it's going to be a mix of SIV applicants and Americans, but should those remaining American citizens get priority, and how many are there in the country right now? I should tell you is that there are individuals who will self-identify as American citizens. That number is around 11,000. Beyond that, around the country. Um, Beyond that, though, there are individuals who may not have self-identified, who may come and request assistance and come to the airport. We're going to work to assist, of course, American citizens, but we also have a responsibility and obligation uh, to help uh, the men and women who, who served by our side. Saki said the administration is prioritizing a number of groups, including American citizens, 11,000 of whom we learned are around Afghanistan right now, as well as embassy employees, staff and their families, as well as Afghan refugee visa holders and applicants. Now, that answer is consistent with the answer I got from Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby on Sunday, that the evacuations would not just be American citizens first and only then Afghan refugees. Jake Sullivan defended against criticism that this was ex- Executed in a haphazard fashion, saying the U.S. has been telling Americans to get out for weeks. But he also placed some of the blame for all this chaos, as President Biden did, on uh, Afghanistan, on the Afghan refugees who did not immediately want to leave. And he said that the Afghan government made a, a passionate plea not to do any sort of mass evacuations because that might undermine confidence in the Afghan government. So now there are tens of thousands of Afghan refugees who are trying to get onto these flights, trying to get past those Taliban checkpoints and right now only guarantees from the Taliban for Americans, Neil. All right. So that was Jackie Henrik of Fox. And um, the point I want to make from that is this is the opposite of America first. And I've heard several experts talk about how hard it is to determine which Afghanis, especially quickly, which of them actually helped Americans and which are lying and just trying to get to safety. We don't know. What their past is, we don't know. This has been the problem uh, since the Obama administration started bringing in, uh, prioritizing, bringing in people from the Middle East. And remember all that discussion about vetting, how hard it is to vet? And so 
the Biden administration has chosen, and I'm going to play you a couple of other clips just to drive this home. They have chosen not to prioritize American citizens. That's exactly what that exchange was all about. And uh, just to uh, drive it home, they they seem so, uh, I think they're concerned about the optics, but not concerned about the people. This is Kabul. The airport is in Kabul, and so when you see people trying to escape, they're all in that geographic area, but there are people all over Afghanistan. There are Americans who are there as missionaries, you know, uh, not not wearing missionary on their badge, but they are doing mission work. Uh, there are people there doing humanitarian uh, efforts, uh, training women, doing all the things that have been happening for the last two decades. Uh, they've spent their lives there. I know some of them personally, and they don't live in Kabul, so they have to go through these checkpoints. And I understand that the Taliban is... Uh, is um, I need to be careful here, but uh, being violent with some people trying to get through those checkpoints. So the the White House now is basically saying there there's nothing they can do about people that are not in Kabul. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean by this. This is a CBS reporter asking Jen Psaki. Uh, well, I'll let you hear the question and the answer. This is clip three. Just one more. I know we all tried to ask Jake this question, but can you offer any guarantee to the Americans and Afghan allies that if they remain there past the end of the month, U.S. troops will help them evacuate past the end of the month. Weijia, our our focus right now is uh, undoing the work at hand and on the task at hand, and that is day by day getting as many American citizens, as many SIV applicants, as many members of a vulnerable population who are eligible to be evacuated to the airport and out on planes. Uh, And we're going to do that in an expeditious fashion. That is the focus of the President, of our Secretary of Defense, of our Secretary of of State, uh, and everybody on our national security team. Uh, So that, that is where we will keep our efforts. Go ahead. All right. So if you had someone in Afghanistan right now, I have a friend that has a, a niece there, um, and they weren't in Kabul, would you feel comforted by that response from Jen Psaki? You know, I remember like Marines and Americans and American presidents saying that we will leave no American behind. Um, all-out efforts of kidnapping and tremendous risk to get Americans held in foreign by foreign Apostle powers out of those countries. This is our DNA, but not so much, it seems, for this president. He's not even prioritizing getting Americans out. And so um, CNN actually interviewed John Kirby. John is the Pentagon spokesperson. Jake Sullivan is the national security advisor for President Trump. Uh, And you know who Jen is. She's the press secretary. So they're all answering these questions. This is CNN talking to John Kirby. Oh, it was kind of the same but different. This is clip two. So the reason I've been asking you about those numbers is just because of that. I want to understand how you're going to do that. Because there are only so many people at the airport right now. There aren't 20,000 people at yeah. the airport right now. There aren't five to no. 10,000 Americans at the airport right now. They're at their homes, either in Kabul or the area. What is the plan to get these people to the airport? The, there's first of all, from a military perspective, John, our focus is at the airport, right? Uh, security and stability at the airport, so we can keep operations going. We're working hand in glove with the State Department uh, in terms of supporting their plans uh, at processing these individuals. Uh, but uh, again, that's something that we're going to be doing on a case by case, day by day basis. Right now, though, uh, I don't want to set the expectation that uh, that we are equipped and and, uh, and able uh, to go out into the countryside and physically move people into Kabul. Our focus right now 
now the troops that we have there are at the airport. The idea is to make sure we can get that uh, the air operations not only have they resumed, but to keep them in place for as long as possible. If they can't get to the airport, what does it matter if you have the capabilities to get them out from the airport? John, I understand that. And we all understand that the security situation in Kabul is not ideal. Uh, right now, the airport is open uh, and people are able to get through uh, through the gates there. There's a there's a processing process that actually has to occur. Uh, but right now, things are moving out of the airport. And again, our focus is on making sure that continues. Yeah, I want to just interject. Uh, of course, that's not very comforting. So if you're not in uh, Kabul, well, if you're not at the airport, well, we can't guarantee. I also... I'm reading, according to um, uh, Edmund Marsh, who writes for Fox News, he interviewed a state uh, – um, let's see, i got to make sure I have this right. These are comments from officials, from various officials, including state, including state and defense. And they informed Senate staffers at a Tuesday morning briefing that they do not know a way uh, – they don't know how to get those Americans through Taliban checkpoints. And then um, Tom Cotton – Basically, his comments were that the situation is dire. And I told you yesterday, I think, that Senator Tom Cotton has been uh, going you know, out beyond the State Department and saying, if you are stranded, if you are stranded, contact my office. And I think I saw that he had been contacted by several hundred people who are trying to get their loved ones out or who are trying to get out themselves. So uh, he said, we'll do everything in our power to help keep you informed and to get you out. So... Um, it doesn't seem as though, in fact, Sullivan was asked by a CBS reporter, a different reporter, if U.S. troops will be pulled from Afghanistan before all Americans and Afghan allies, allies are, are out, and uh, he had no comment. Okay, so you see where this is going. I mean, if, this, if they're refusing to say something, if they're being so cryptic with these pointed questions, we, we know what the answer is, don't we? We know what the answer is. All right, so on the other side of this is part, part of the uh, – it's Americans stranded and it's America's allies stranded. And it's also certainly the women of Afghanistan are in a precarious position. Nazira Karimi uh, was a reporter at that press conference yesterday, and uh, sh- I want you to hear her interaction. Let's listen. Clip five. Thank you so much, John. As you know, I'm from Afghanistan, and I'm, I'm very upset today. Because Afghan women didn't expect that overnight all the Taliban came. They took off my flag. This is my flag. And they put their flag. Everybody is uh, upset, especially women. And I forgot my question to me. What do you ask? Where is my president, former President Ghani? People expected that he bye-bye with the people. And immediately he ran away. We don't know where is he. And we don't have a president. President Biden said that President Ghani, no, he has to fight uh, for us people. They have to do everything and we were able to uh, financially help them. But we don't have any president. We don't have anything. Afghan people, they don't know what to do. Women has a lot of achievement in Afghanistan. I had a lot of achievement. I, I left from the Taliban like 20 years ago. Now we go back to the first step again. Do you have any comment? We are our president. You should answer to Afghan people. Well, I obviously can't speak for uh, Ashraf Ghani or where he is or what his views are. I wouldn't do that. Um, but let me say with all respect that uh, that I understand, and we all understand, the the anxiety and the fear and the pain that you're feeling. It's 
it's clear and it's evident. And uh, nobody here at the Pentagon is uh, happy about the images that uh, we've seen uh, coming out uh, in the last few days. Uh, and we're all mindful of, um, of the kind of governance, governance that the, the Taliban is capable of. Um, uh, so you know, heart, heartfelt uh, respect to, to what you're going through. And, and we, uh, we understand that. Yeah, so that reminded me of John Kerry bringing in James Taylor to Paris to comfort them after those uh, uh, Charlie Abdu murders by the Islamists in that newspaper. Charlie Abdu, I can't even think of the pronunciation. It's close to that. Uh, but the, he was Secretary of State at the time, and uh, J- John Kerry brought in James Taylor to, to sing, You've Got a Friend. I will never forget watching that on television. I was like, are you've got to be kidding me. So about seven or eight, maybe even 12 people were slaughtered. And this is the comfort. This is small comfort. And that's what uh, John Kirby was bringing this woman from Kabul, Afghanistan. Jennifer Griffin asked John Kirby a pretty hard question. And uh, it, it, every single answer gives us some more insight. So let's listen to this clip seven. Can I follow up on the agreement with the Taliban? Do you have an agreement with the Taliban that they will allow for safe passage to the airport for SIVs, number one? And there also are reports that you are having to negotiate now with former Gitmo detainees. One of the leaders in Qatar is a well-known Gitmo detainee who was released in 2014. Are you finding yourselves having to negotiate with former Gitmo? I know of no negotiations with former Guantanamo Bay uh, detainees, Jen. On your first question, uh, I think I would just, again, leave it to what I've been saying. Uh, There there are interactions at the airport uh, by our commanders with uh, Taliban leaders uh, out in town. You know what, I'm going to interrupt his answer because I know the answer. I'll tell you that uh, the uh, Biden administration is uh, uh, giving tons of cash uh, to to the Taliban. They've been doing that all week, uh, bribing, trying to bribe them for good behavior, trying to bribe them to make sure that, you know, we clean up the airport and the optics are not as bad. Uh, Meanwhile, Ghani, the president, I have not mentioned him, but the Afghan lady in that presser mentioned him. He fled the country uh, with tons of cash himself. (laughs) What a brave man. He got out of Dodge quickly. The Russians are saying he made quite the royal exit. I don't know. That's what the Russians say. I wasn't there. Uh, But it it is a disaster. There's no question about it. I have more to say about it and sort of some perspective to bring to it from other voices around the world and also... General Flynn has this great piece on it, so stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married. She's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse and there is no one who knows you better And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. 
tuned in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Charles Hopkins, Associate Administrator and Deputy Undersecretary for Emergency Operations. He oversees emergency management enterprise, continuity programs, and complex-wide emergency operations support. 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us of the most important quality of a good steward and good leader. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Charles Hopkins. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Most Democrats want the government to force Americans to mask up. That's according to a new survey from Rasmussen Reports. 66% of Democrats want mandates even for those who are vaccinated. Republicans, on the other hand, are overwhelmingly opposed to the mandates. Dr. Jeff Warren is a member of the Memphis City Council. He is also a progressive Democrat. Dr. Warren has been among the most vocal critics of those who refuse to get a vaccine. Not only has he been vaccinated, but Dr. Warren makes it a point to tell anyone who will listen that he wears two face coverings. So it was something of a surprise when he announced the other day that he had contracted the China virus. It does make you wonder whether the vaccine or the masks will actually keep you safe. My new book now topping the charts. You can order a copy of our Daily Biscuit right now at your favorite bookstore or online at ToddStearns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. He just made a really big decision. Afghanistan. Yes. Were you the last person in the room? Yes. And you feel comfortable? I do. He is someone who I have seen over and over again make decisions based on what he truly believes, based on his years of doing this work and studying these issues, what he truly believes is the right thing to do. Yeah, so that's Kamala Harris. Uh, She was the last person in the room to advise President Biden that, you know, he should follow his, you know, his wisdom. uh, And she supported completely him uh, pulling, withdrawing the way we've done in Afghanistan. That's what she said. But by the way, Kamala Harris, our vice president, is leaving the country for Vietnam. She's going to Vietnam. She's leaving the country to go to Vietnam. It's ironic, isn't it? Because uh, what's happening in Kabul is being compared to what happened in Saigon, the fall of Saigon, uh, when we left so suddenly 
what that was another disgraceful moment in American history. We talked about that recently. Remember with Ron Yates, the foreign war correspondent who was there the day Saigon fell. Uh, we should replay that show just to give you a, a memory of what that was like. And uh, people were begging to get on those helicopters as they left. Uh, the last helicopters left, and a lot of our Vietnamese friends, thousands of them, were left behind and very, you know, terribly punished by the Viet Cong. So that's why people are making those comparisons. So how Kamala Harris is now off to Vietnam. She, I guess, she can't stay here and kind of uh, help, you know, uh, Joe Man- uh, President Biden uh, handle this uh, this tragedy that's happening, and also the repercussions of what's happening in this country are really unspeakable. And uh, we have to speak of them, and we will do that in a second. But I want to just give you some more information before I chat with you about some of my thoughts about this. Uh, How in the world did we get in this mess? How in the world, how in the world did we become so stupid and foolish? Uh, Ned Price of the State Department was um, making a statement, kind of issuing a, a plea to Afghanistan, and I want you to hear what he asked for. Here's clip four. Additionally. The U.N. Security Council issued a joint press statement earlier today calling for a new government that is united, inclusive, and representative, including with the full and, full and meaningful participation of women. The Council spoke with one voice to underscore that Afghanistan must abide by its international obligations, including to international humanitarian law, and ensure the safety and security of all Afghans and international citizens. Okay, so... Does he sound like, you know, a young guy who's got it all figured out? He's a warning Afghanistan. They'd better form a united, inclusive. That means, of course, you know, honoring the gay wa- the gay flag-waving embassies uh, demand in Afghanistan that they, they allow, you know, lesbian, bisexual, transgender uh, persons uh, to be part of their government. And so, you know, this is—it uh, has to be inclusive— Representative, and you must abide by that. I'm, and I'm sure that uh, Ned is expecting the, um, the Taliban to, you know, salute the State Department uh, with that ridiculous mandate uh, to a Taliban that's uh, Islamists uh, who don't believe in women's rights, and they don't certainly don't believe in they throw homosexuals off buildings. But I'm sure they're quaking in their boots at Ned's warning. This is how ridiculous this has gotten, and I want to. I have to make this point. We have alluded to this, but it has to be driven home. There's more and more conversation about the ridiculous things that our military leadership have been doing. And I referred to this, General Milley and um, the, uh, the, the Army uh, Secre- uh, the Defense Secretary. What's his name? I've just gone blank. Uh, one's black and one's white. They're the ebony and ivory of stupidity. I mean, honestly. They, I, I've, it's really unbelievable. It's a kind of a combination of arrogance and stupidity because they have made uh, decisions that are putting this nation in peril. Risk is no longer the right word. It's peril, imminent peril. Uh, and remember that uh, just in about, about a month ago, Congressman Doug uh, Lamborn was in a committee hearing in the House, and uh, General Milley was there, and so was... Uh, um, gosh, I'm just, uh, sorry, I'll think of his name in a second. But um, Lamborn asked uh, General Milley if it was possible. Afghanistan had two runways, two major airports. Bagram Airfield over to the Taliban early on. And so Doug Lamborn saying, now isn't it at all possible for the United States to keep 
uh, open, Bagram Airfield. Can't we can't we hang on to that? And General Milley responded that responded that it's it's not tacti- tactically necessary. It's not tactically necessary. Do you see what's happening in Afghan with your own Afghanistan with your own eyes? There's one airport, thousands of people trying to get on planes. Uh, they had to shut the airport down. They've been finding bodies, by the way, on houses and in various parts of Kabul who've fallen off those planes. If we'd had two airports, maybe people who were not in Kabul could have gotten out. But but General Milley assured us it wasn't tactically necessary. And remember, Lloyd Austin, Lloyd Austin, that's his name, um, Remember that in May of this year, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, the 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 counterpart to the very white Mark Milley. I'm sorry, I'm just we're talking about race all the time. This is I tell you repeatedly, this is not about race because stupidity and fecklessness and um, wickedness doesn't know a color. So we've got the ebony and ivory ivory of all of that. One is the uh, uh, Secretary of Defense, the other is the joint, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Pentagon. They're equally dangerous men because of their stupidity. And so in May of this year, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin identified climate change as the number one issue facing the military, climate change. And number two, countering violent extremists in the military. So um, that's the men, those are the the ones that are leading us. By the way, there's an article um, in the Times of Israel that uh, came across my, in my box, uh, and um, this is the headline. We warned them for months. Pentagon ire mounts over Biden Afghanistan pullout. <laughs> Problem is, my understanding is this was a uh, this was a leak. You know, this is a trying to save their sorry hide uh, by saying that they warned Biden. Uh, they've warned him for months, but it was his idea. Remember, I told you yesterday. I think uh, the powers that be, the wicked powers that be, want. Biden to be blamed for this so that this is a great idea to blame him. It's his decision alone. He's sitting at the table all by himself at Camp David. And uh, so Biden really it made this whole decision. No one else had anything to do with it. You saw that table. It was empty. It was just, just him, just Joe. And so, and he comes back to say he defends his decision. He stands by it. Isn't that convenient for people now to put the whole blame on him, the media to go after him, the Democrats who are getting ready to hold a hearing in the House about how the Biden administration handled that, I think President Biden's days are numbered. And the, the upshot for the left is they can blame him, he can step down, and they can keep doing the horrible things they're doing to this country without a stain of the blame of what's happening in Kabul and Afghanistan right now. That's what I think is happening. And I, I back to the ridiculousness of the leadership. This is a, an insider national security expert. I'm not going to identify him, but I'm going to read to you what he says. He said, in some way, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. We can see the bankruptcy of the liberal, oblivious, mill intel dipo swamp. Can, uh, after Vietnam, American military morale plummeted. This gave rise to a new crop of West Point graduates who were gun-shy and only would move if they, overwhel- if they had overwhelming military superiority. General Colin Powell was one of its strongest advocates. And since the intelligence failure of the collapse of the Soviet Union, the U.S. Intelligence Committee analysts have embraced a progressive, worldwide human rights view, which morphed into a deep anti-Trump obsession. Real-world politics rarely intervened. 
And then he goes down to say, our intervention in Afghanistan brought it all together, liberating women, gays, and trans, destroying male elder leadership there and patriarchy, and building solar and water projects. In other words, this was an experience to build a new, caring, progressive society in the smack-dab middle of the Middle East. State did its part. The military hit only when it had overwhelming force, and our lazy intel guys drank in the anti-American Kool-Aid. Joe came along for the ride with Blinken and pulled the final switch. It's the ultimate anti-military moment. All we are saying is give peace a chance. And then the real world came back crashing on them all. And I think that is it. I think that's very well said. I think that's, you know, it's kind of what I was talking about when John Kerry brought in um, James. Uh, yeah, James is saying, oh, you've got a friend to the people that had killed uh, to the French who had just lost all of those people and Charlie Hebdo uh, uh, agency. He brings in this singer, James Taylor, to sing this stupid song. And that's supposed to be comforting. That's how out of touch the American left is. And by the way, just to come down to reality again, the one thing I didn't even mention, now Jake Sullivan was asked about this yesterday in a press conference, and uh, he basically said, oh, we had a fair amount of U.S. weapons that fell into Taliban hands. I heard uh, President Trump last night enumerate what all those weapons were. It would make your blood boil. It will make your blood boil. Something like $83 billion dollars worth of equipment we have handed off to the Taliban. And I want to read now from a general who was a man apart from all of that foolishness. He actually broke away from the establishment military. He was trying to get things sorted out. He saw things that no one else wanted to talk about. And uh, he came out in support in 2016 of President Donald Trump, which was anathema to the military and anathema, certainly to the uh, intelligence officials. He was, he'd been uh, head of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and they turned on him with a vengeance, as you will remember. His name was Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. And so um, General Flynn writes a piece because he knows all about what's going on here, and I want you to hear his sentiments because I, um, I think they're profound. He said, Americans want to know whether President Biden and his defense secretary... Austin's military-wide stand-down order to root out insufficiently woke extremists in the armed forces has caused our Defense Department to ignore what is unfolding in Afghanistan, as well as other real threats to our nation. After Afghanistan, I believe we can no longer rely on neocon senior military leaders, talking heads, and politicians. We have allowed military and civilian lawyers read rules of engagement restrictions. Remember, that's where you could, they had all these restrictions and you couldn't shoot someone unless you, or you were charged with murder on the battlefield if you didn't follow all the restrictions they laid down. Ridiculous things that I've talked about at this microphone for years. But, uh, but I took, I digress there. We have allowed military and civilian lawyers to become all-powerful. And many of our generals have been so indecisive and risk-averse that they are acting as little more than career-seeking politicians. America is now in a fully engaged information war. Soon it may be worse. I pray our senior military leadership is intensely planning all options. The best plan offers the most options at the last possible moment. Trust me, our enemies are not waiting. They plan and they don't care about stupid mask policies or fake insurrection show trials. Our enemies will be working on the next three vulnerabilities we haven't even thought about. 
I believe Russia and China have a clear-eyed understanding of our corrupt political leadership that they and many other nations no longer respect or fear. America will come back soon, but it will come at a cost. If the bureaucracy in Washington, i.e. the Defense Department, State Department, intelligence community, want to keep acting like utopian ideologues, we will lose. If they find their courage, the USA will win. So I say, step up, stand up, and straighten your backbones. We the people demand far better from our leaders, and if there is a battle necessary to be fought, let's start winning again. Then he goes on to say the leadership with respect to our homeland is no better. While demonstrating weakness with our enemies, they become more ruthless with our people. I get the sense that there is no federal power that Biden-Harris will not abuse to suppress political opposition. The latest alert from the Department of Homeland Security is just the latest in a long series of crimes against the nation that could threaten the bonds that hold our country together. Build Back Better is now a joke. Who will win the conflict between the Biden administration and the people? I don't know. But Biden-Harris should take a look at what's happening in Afghanistan for how quickly the political situation on the ground can change. Once a critical mass of Americans realize what's being done to it, the ruling class will begin to suffer defections. The FBI agents that today are willing to conduct early morning raids may realize the kind of country they are helping create. And even if the Americans who voted for Biden-Harris will realize that this team operates through deception and deceit, take heart, look at Afghanistan, Things can change quickly. Keep the faith. Pray. Work. Speak truth to power. Fear not and never give up. Remember the words of Second Chronicles 20.15, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And Michael Flynn goes on to say, When you're done praying, stand up and serve your communities and our nation in different ways, using the God-given talent and skills that each of you possesses. Isn't that good? Now, that's a real man, and that's a real general, and that's the kind of generals we have had in our country, but not the current crop. And so there's a great move right now to remove them, and I hope it's successful. Um, I pray it's successful. You know, I, I have, I'm sort of torn because I have more things about Afghanistan. I also have stuff about COVID, so I'll be thinking about this during the break, about which way I should go here. Uh, but I appreciate you listening. I really do, and I I don't want to discourage you, and sometimes I think I do because I'm discouraged myself and worried. Uh, but um, I think General Flynn's admonition at the end really spoke to me, and uh, we have to stay steady. You stay steady and stay the course. Remember what Winston Churchill says, I've got his, somebody bought me his plaque. It says, never, never give up, never, never give up. And he didn't, and uh, the British didn't. And under his leadership, uh, they prevailed in World War II. So are, are we going to give up? No, we are not. No, we are not. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Do you want your life to really matter? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. You want to make the rest of your life the best of your life? It's not going to happen unless you put God's action plan into practice in your life. And you will have the experience one day of standing before the Lord and hearing him say to you, well done. Discover how you can hear God say, well done. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart. Each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. When you hear this, 
This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Regressivism is a bipartisan institution. 18 Republican U.S. Senators have proven that true as they voted to pass Mr. J. Robinette's ridiculous non-infrastructure infrastructure bill. Congratulations, 18 Senate Republicans. You've set the stage to allow your regressive Democrat counterparts pass their $3.5 trillion social re-engineering compact, affecting everything from health care and child care to college, the environment, and so much more through the once-a-year available reconciliation process. You voted to increase the deficit at a time when debt as a share of the economy is on track to break the World War II record this year. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare, and what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch, too. You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE, 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The victorious Taliban are waging a new campaign in Afghanistan. It's called a charm offensive. Spokesmen say they intend to join the international community, respect the rights of women, and allow the emigration of what the Biden administration calls vulnerable people. These assurances are belied by the terrorist group's past behavior and the current actions of its operatives across the country. While reports of widespread summary executions, rapes, dismemberings, and enslavement are becoming increasingly difficult to verify, they cannot be ignored, if only because they are prescribed by Sharia, authoritative Islam's brutally repressive doctrine to which the Taliban faithfully adhere. The Taliban's Sharia supremacism portends terrible affliction for the long-suffering people of Afghanistan. It also endangers large numbers of Americans potentially trapped there. Ditto, the vulnerable people in this country, if we wind up inadvertently importing it here, along with unvetted Afghans. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We now face a more unsafe world with the militant Islamist Taliban more emboldened than ever. And there are concerns amongst many in the U.S. security establishment that the world will once again 
see a rise of terrorist attacks. On July 8th this year, Biden was asked whether the withdrawal of troops would be similar to that of what we saw in Vietnam. He replied in his usual incoherent way, these exact words, none whatsoever, zero. The Taliban is not the South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being airlifted off the roof of an embassy that, of the United States from Afghanistan. Can't even string a bloody sentence together. Biden is utterly unfit to be the president of the United States. And it blows my mind how world leaders like Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson suck up to such an intellectually bereft individual. The last word must go to the Wall Street Journal editorial board. President Biden's statement on Saturday, they say, washing his hands of Afghanistan deserves to go down as one of the most shameful in history by a commander in chief at such a moment of American retreat. It went on as the Taliban closed in on Kabul. Mr. Biden sent a confirmation of US abandonment that absolved himself of responsibility, deflected blame to his predecessor and more or less invited the Taliban to take over the country. This is the Wall Street Journal editorial board, not Alan Jones. It went on. Worst of all is the plight of the Afghans who assisted the US over two decades. Biden said on Saturday that the 5,000 US troops he's sending will help in evacuating Afghans and Americans. But it says there are thousands of translators, their families and other officials who are in peril from Taliban rule and didn't get out in time. It goes on. The Biden administration was far too slow to get them out of the country despite urgent warnings. The murder of these innocents will compound the stain on the Biden presidency. They ended by describing this as, quote, the worst U.S. humiliation since the fall of Saigon in 1975. Now, I'm tired of saying this, but when you're sick of saying it, some are only starting to hear it. This is all due to the weak political leadership of the West, which brings me to the thought for the night. Leadership is about taking responsibility, not making excuses. All right, so that's, uh, I just wanted you to get a taste of that. That's Alan Jones of Sky News in Australia. Uh, you, you can imagine the dive, the nosedive America has taken in light of the world and its leaders. I think uh, I read yesterday that he's only talked to one world leader, and that was uh, Boris Johnson from Great Britain. Uh, otherwise, he hasn't talked to any of them, and they are roundly criticizing him because the whole world really is at risk now. Remember that the Islamists, you know, were they came, they really targeted America, but they also targeted Western Europe. And so now there's going to be, they've released a Bagram at the prison. They've released 7,000 at least hardcore terrorists who were with the Taliban and training with Al-Qaeda, and now they're going to be unleashed on the world. So we all have good reason to be furious with Joe Biden with his military leadership, with his State Department. They need to all, as I have said repeatedly, you know what, wouldn't you just love to see these military leaders dropped into Afghanistan right now? Just let them, let them go. They have, they've got all these medals and uniforms, and they know all, they're probably really good with weapons. So let them go in and see what they can do. Maybe they could get uh, Americans out. Maybe they could lead the charge. I'd like to see something like that. Richard Littlejohn, Daily Mail has is a great news outlet. Okay, what do I mean by that? It's, um, it's certainly on the left, uh, but they do really comprehensive reporting. And I actually enjoy their articles. I know if sometimes if I don't see something covered much in the American press, I can look to the Daily Mail and get a lot of detail 
um, with a with a slant to the left. That I just know that they they're not they weren't friends certainly fans of President Trump. There's a really fascinating commentary uh, in the Daily Mail uh, dated um, the sixteenth, uh, actually two days ago, by Richard Littlejohn, and the title is. The war on terror has ended as it – and by the way, this is uh, London-based, even though they have an office here in the U.S., okay, so the Daily Mail. The war on terror has ended as it began on 9-11, 20 years ago, with bodies falling from the sky, the Taliban cheering in Kabul, and mighty America humbled. And for that, Joe Biden should hang his head in shame. Uh, so then he goes into a lot of detail, and I just can't read it for you because it's just too long. But he talks about how for the last 20 years our, our mission was successful. There hasn't been a com- comparable attack on America since 9-11, and yet now Afghanistan is again open. Uh, it's open house for Islamic terrorists. There are already reports that British jihadists are heading there, fresh from fighting with ISIS in Iraq and Syria. And so... Um, the only see they go he goes on to say the only recent photograph of the president showed him hunkered down at Camp David. We've talked about that a great deal by himself. No doubt he kept pressing the remote control, hoping for a different result, like the simpleton Chauncey Gardner who rises to become a presidential advisor in the Peter Sellers movie Being There. Biden's deputy, the hapless, giggly Kamala Harris, has been missing in action too. And then uh, just a couple of things he talks about Middle America. And how much they love their country and how distressing it must be. In fact, I'll read this. Certainly the American public is heartily sick of of war without end. But they were also well aware that stationing troops in Afghanistan, the crucible of the 9-11 attacks, was intended to take the fight to the enemy and had protected the homeland for two decades. They are fiercely proud of their country and will be wounded by the global shame visited upon them by this debacle. That's in the. That's in part what Richard Littlejohn wrote in the Daily Mail, um, and so then the other counter to this is stories that are happening at the border. The head of the Border Patrol, Rodney Scott, just stepped down August the fourteenth, and he talked to his nineteen thousand agents before retiring, and basically he said that unprecedented numbers of known or suspected terrorists have crossed the southern border in recent months. Over and over again, I see people talk about our mission and. Um, and the context of it being immigration or the current crisis. But he said this is a national security crisis, what's happening at the southern border. Does anyone listening to me doubt? Do you, does any part of you doubt that terrorists are not coming across the southern border and haven't been for months? Anybody doubt that? No one's vetting them? And by the way, there's this interesting article which I, uh, by Newsbusters about how no one's talking about the border right now. No one's talking about it. And it, it tracks the amount of hours that have been spent by various networks. Fox talks about it. No one else does. So your neighbors don't even know. They don't even know what's happening on the southern border if they're not watching those outlets or listening to shows like this. Then I talked to you about, ironically, the Department of Homeland Security sent out, I wanted to spend a lot of time on this this week, but there's just been no time. They issued their new terrorism threat ahead of the 9-11 anniversary. And guess who they're worried about? They're worried about groups that oppose COVID measures. They're worried about groups that claim there's election fraud and some that believe President Trump can be reinstated. Uh, and then last but not least, they are thinking about the 9-11 anniversary and religious holidays, which I think a lot of those are Jewish holidays. So 
there's, you know, there might be some internet, so they're lumping together uh, all of the people who really just love this country and love its freedom and are fighting back. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't put opponents of critical race theory, but I'm sure that's on there, you know, in the fine print or hidden uh, in the manuals of the managers. So I thought you would, could use some encouragement. Could you use some encouragement? Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton, our champion. Tom's a very good, dear friend of mine. And I thank God for him, for his courage. Do you have any idea what kind of pressure Judicial Watch is under, what kind of personal threat someone like Tom is under? You have no idea. And so, uh, but they fight, they fight, they fight. So Judicial Watch uh, filed a lawsuit seeking top Defense Department officials' emails on count their counter Countering Extremism Working Group. Uh, it's, uh, it's a defense uh, communications from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley, and Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff John Hyten. They're asking for all of those. And um, Judicial Watch says, during his Senate confirmation hearing in January, which followed the January 6th disturbance at the Capitol, Austin vowed that he would purge the U.S. military of racists and extremists. Austin told the Senate Armed Services Committee the job of the Department of Defense is to keep America safe from our enemies. But we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. And then Austin ordered a 60-day military stand-down to address the challenge of extremism in the ranks. And then he established a countering extremism working group on April the 9th. Do you wonder why Afghanistan has just blown up? Do you think Mr. Austin was busy and Mr. Milley, the ebony and ivory of stupidity, doing other things like turning their ire on Americans, like uh, making sure that um, people in the military didn't think the wrong things because now they want to control their thoughts? Yes, I think so. So uh, this is a quote by Tom Fitton. The Afghanistan humiliation is further evidence that the Biden Pentagon's obsession with targeting conservatives in the military undermines our national security. Why is the Pentagon's leadership hiding records about its ongoing political purge and attack on the First Amendment rights of our troops? Okay, so God bless Judicial Watch. And then I also want to say in um, Alliance Defending Freedom has jumped into Loudoun County, and they are defending uh, not only Tanner Cross, who was— I'm not sure what his status is. I think they did let him go. He was the one who said he could not use those pronouns because it was child abuse, it was dishonest, and it was dishonoring to God, and he's a Christian. So two other teachers now have joined this suit, and they are uh, challenging the Loudoun County Public Schools policy uh, to coerce the pronouns and all the rest of it. Uh, So I I just wanted you to know that's a a good fight. And also, uh, pivoting to COVID, uh, some... Houston Medical Hospital, Methodist Hospital, has forced their employees uh, to take the vaccine. And so some employees have been laid off, and now an attorney in Houston is coming to their rescue with a lawsuit. His name is Jared Woodfill. And basically, the uh, CEO, Dr. Mark Bloom, said, I wish the number could be zero, talking about people needing to be fired. But unfortunately, a small number of individuals have decided to not put their patients first. Woodfill countered with that. He said he took this suit because his clients, quote, faithfully and fearlessly were on the front lines during the height of the pandemic fighting the coronavirus, and many of them contracted COVID knowing the risk they were taking caring for their patients. As a thank you, Methodists awarded them a pink slip when they refused to participate in a vaccine trial. I told you that when my husband was 
in ICU with COVID pneumonia, what, a month, five weeks ago? Uh, when he came home, he told me that almost every person that he talked to that was tending to him uh, had not had the vaccine. And, it's, and we don't, I don't know what the answer is. It could be this, because part of the lawsuit quotes these things. They highlight the VAERS, it's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, the VAERS. It's a voluntary system, so not everyone reports everything. And according to this, which only accounts for 1% of vaccine injuries as a cause of concern among those who chose not to take those shots. As of July 30th, 2021, the number of deaths and hospitalizations linked to those who received the COVID shots were 12,366 deaths and 46,036 hospitalizations. By comparison, some of you have heard this stat, from July of 1997 to December of 2013, this reporting system, theirs, only received 666 adult death reports for all vaccines. So that's, what, 16 years? Only 660 adult deaths from all the vaccines that there are? And in this short period, we've had 12,366 deaths and 46,036 hospitalizations and with a system that's voluntary for reporting that purports to all, I don't, even, I don't know what the stats are, but I have heard from other doctors that there's no way that's a full reporting. And um, after 50% of the adult population has received both doses of the shots, morbidity reported to the Centers for Disease Control and verified with a permanent VAERS number include 68,040 urgent care visits, 92,527 office visits, 4,759 cases of anaphylaxis, 4,044 cases of Bell's palsy, 12,194 life-threatening events, 5,236 heart attacks, 3,728 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, 2,269 cases of thrombos, that's blood clots, and low platelet. 1,381 miscarriages, 23,000 severe allergic reactions, and 14,251 disabling illnesses. That's according to VAERS. That's not the full count. And uh, maybe that's why the medical profession is not rushing to get these shots. Do they know something else that we don't know? I don't know. But there's a reason why they're not doing it. And so um, I had more to say about COVID, but tomorrow we'll get to that. Hey, listen, thanks for listening today. And um, I know you trust God, and I do too, and so we need to live like that, right? Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.